everyone you're listening to battle red radio i'm matt weston tonight i'm joined by the biggest the fattest the drunkest of them all our good pal bfd how are you doing tonight man so i've got tufts brewery 7.1 percent beer i don't even know where the tufts brewery is from so i'm gonna have a good old time tonight so hang on peeps <laughs> i have uh, a half of an algae of brita filtered water from the hard water we have here from the Edwards Aquifer. Uh, it's a little, you know, it's a little too uh, limey for my taste, but it's good enough. Uh, you get used to the hard water, baby. Oh, uh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Especially and you li- can't go back to soft water. Can't go back to soft water. Especially living such a hard, downtrodden life, too. <laughs> so did you know that Jameis Winston loves to throw interceptions? He is like to interceptions what I, I I don't know like the best he's like interceptions to Monet is to impressionism and I don't even know if that's the right like I love it like parties in yeah it's just he's like an artist in his own right he's you know it's it's his ability to be inaccurate and not understand what's going on in front of him is just simply amazeballs but. What he does have going for him is he, he pushes the ball down the field, which is great. He's like the ultimate gunslinger. He's like Rick Grossman on steroids, Matt. I love him. As as far as like a pure football player goes, I think he's the funnest quarterback to watch in the league. My favorite quarterback is Josh Allen, aside from Deshaun Watson. They're like, you know, they're 50-50, I'd say. But for as from a, a non-Texan perspective goes, yeah, I think Winston's the best. Winston's my favorite. Winston's the funnest. Allen's my favorite. I think Wilson's been the best quarterback this year. Hmm. Really? You're going to say that even after Sunday's Nightmare by Wilson? Have you seen that one yet? Yeah, but it was it, ugly. I know the pressure was really bad against him, and yeah. Brown was out. Like He has to do so much of the offensive line that can't pass block very well. You know, uh, I, do, I haven't gone back and watched that game yet. I just saw the highlights, and yeah, I felt bad for him. And Carson got hurt, and Penny's out, and you know, you suffer that many injuries in a game, it kind of becomes insurmountable. Um, so, Jameis Winston... He threw a lot of interceptions, and the Texans scored 23 points because of it. 17 of their 23 points came off of turnovers. The first was a pick six to Bradley Roby. Winston tried to throw an out route to Justin Watson, and the Texans are in pure man coverage on that throw. And whenever you go back and watch, which is worth doing, Roby has outside placement on him. Like, he's sitting on the out route. Like, he's probably, like, you know, two two feet to a yard outside of Watson, and he, I mean, he reads it the entire way, and they score. And this is on the first throw that Winston has this game to. The second interception became a Texans field goal. The Bucks were Winston was trying to throw a dig route. They had Justin Reed sitting in the middle of the field in a robber position. Winston just never saw him, or he didn't want to see him, or he did see him and didn't care. I don't know what he was thinking. But <laughs> he threw an interception there, and it would have been a touchdown, but Charles Omenehu, uh was very rude and blindsided a Bucks offensive lineman. And it was like a brutal play that he probably should be fine for. Um, I hate what he did there, and he also took away just from pick six by doing that. The Texans ended up kicking a field goal, and that made it 10-0 at that point. Houston then went on to try to establish the run. Duke Johnson fumbled. Tampa recovered. And then off a of max protect play action with just two routes, he tried to throw a pass to Brashard Perriman. 
the pass was inside. Joseph was able to intercept it, and Perriman didn't do a very good job walling off. You know, Joseph and playing a cornerback on that play too. Then on top of all that, Ronald Jones fumbled the ball a big round after Tyrell Adams was able to force a fumble. Uh, the Texans would turn that into a touchdown after Darren Fells converted near the goal line. And finally, it all ended the only way it could because life can be so beautiful and square and perfect and wonderful sometimes. And it was another out route. Uh, out route. This time it was a Goomba Wale out of the backfield with Jay Leela die on him. A die, as he said in the postgame conference, they're going to throw an out route. I do. They're going to throw an out route. I sound that route the whole time. Um, no biscuit if you don't risk it, or no risk it, no biscuit, however exactly said it. Sipped in front of that one. Texans bled the clock out. The Bucks ran two meaningless plays. Then Houston won another one-score game, 23-20. to So after all that, they had four, four interceptions, one fumble recovery, five turnovers, 23 points. They won 23-20. They're eight and three one-score games. They have won five of their last five one-score games. Uh, so did you have fun in, throughout all of this? Like, this is a, a big... Yeah, this is like a, I don't know what the word is, whatever Shakespeare calls it, a big soliloquy. I don't know. Whenever that one person stands and talks the entire time, the monologue. The soliloquy. There yeah. we go. We got it. We got it's, it. You got the right word. I took English when I was 15. Yeah, that's my undergrad is English, especially focused on shake and bake himself. I'm jealous. <sighs> yeah, don't be. I have, um, a, I have a dumb <laughs> economics degree. Well, that's my master's. So, uh, this this game was fun, and, and the first half was fun. I thought the first ha- half was a blast. I mean, it was like turnover. It was like what I dreamed of. But even though, like, Deshaun Watson, the offense could not get started, it was, you know, Carlos Hyde up the middle, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to beat that horse it's so dead that it's not even – doesn't even care it's dead anymore. It's going to be that dead. It's going to be like the snake-bitten horse in the, in the Blood Meridian. This horse got bit by a rattlesnake, <laughs> like, 10 days ago, and its whole face is green and – pussy and like can't see it all and they can't kill the horse because they may they don't well they don't kill the horse the horse is just sitting there i think they're saving in case they need to eat it for food because they're trapped in this like garrison after the aztecs when they're just slaughtered everybody i have not seen it it's a fine yeah, sounding reference yeah, read it. it's great it's great okay or read it um so yeah, uh, where was I? But yeah, I mean, there is like fun and and gun. It was like enter, or it's like turn over here, or turn over there, like ripping apart the the Texan secondary here. And then like the last half of that second quarter was just so much fun. I mean, you know, the, the Texas secondary is really not very good. It's not the best secondary in the NFL, no matter what some people think. They're terrible. I mean, what Romeo Cornell has done with this group is beyond amazing. How much smack has Cornell has taken this year? He has done a great job getting that team ready on the defensive side of the ball. And this was yet another game. Another game. Nice assist by Jameis Winston. He probably deserves an AFC South Champions shirt too. But it's another game that the defense got Bill O'Brien the victory. And and let's be honest, that they were in the right position to make plays sometimes. Good enough times. Like that interception by Adai, I mean... Did you not when that when that route started? Were you not going? Oh my God, that's an out route that's going to be jumped. I mean, they were lined up to do that. It was a it was a, what they needed two or three yards, and they had them on the outside. The running back. It was like, oh my God, really? This is like madness type stuff. This is like Madden on stupid mode. It's going to be an out to the farthest throw that there is on the field, and that's exactly what it was. So, but yeah, the, that, the that was on, the, that was on third and one too. After third and one, after okay. the Bucks had twenty eight yards and moving the ball pretty well, yeah, it's just like 
oh my god like even even the guys in their mom's basement can see that play happening before you much less you know a pro like a die who's he's got like eight years experience mm-hmm. so it, it was fun but the first half was fun the second half was like watching typical bill o'brien football mm-hmm. yeah and like the second half really became very rational and boring after each team traded long field goal drives in the third quarter and then the Texans had another field goal because DeAndre Carr caught a deep pass that he was able to, you know, get them in a field goal position again. They spurred out from there, but they made twenty three twenty, and the Bucks tried to tie, but they were <laughs> unable to. So this week, and establish the run. <laughs> Houston ran the ball on first down, excluding Watson's one kneel down to the half. They ran the ball on first down seventeen times for twenty four yards. This is 1.4 yards a carry. Carlos High had 14 carries for 20 yards, which is 1.43 yards in attempt on first down. Now, the important thing to remember here, too, is that Tampa Bay has the best run defense in football. Vita Vea is enormous, and Dominica Sue is enormous. Carl Nassib can play the Brian well. Uh, Jason Pierre Paul is back, and he's playing you know, good, too. Barrett's a fine run defender, not extraordinary. They have a lot of guys blitzing, a lot of guys in the box. Levante David is like Kyle Williams, he's like Andre Johnson. He's like Larry Fitzgerald, where he's a. Uh, I mean, I guess he's not even like Larry Fitzgerald because he said zero playoff, you know, success or any ability to even play in the postseason. But he's a guy who's playing the same franchise forever, being spectacular every year and playing on bad to mediocre teams. And hopefully next season he'll have a chance actually to play in the postseason against kind of like a after playing for like a good but you know snake bitten and weird Tampa Bay team. Um, but that aside, Watson was four, six, or forty-two yards on first down. He was sacked three times. On second and long, the Texans had two carries for six yards. So all of this in these established the run situations, the Texans have 1.57 yards to carry. Uh, this is absurd and stupid. And again, this is against a team with the best run defense in football. So like, what what were they do? Like whenever I was watching the run game, I think two of the issues I saw were they kept running that zone read. But again, the Buccaneers have done like every team the last like five weeks have done a really great job scraping over, covering it, forcing Houston to hand the ball off. And then you just watch Fells or Akins just run past the linebacker in the flat, just run right past them over and over again because they have two defenders coming over to cover them and they're sitting on that run play. The other thing I saw Tuesday, we try to run a lot outside zone. The Texans are a bad outside zone team. It's it's a lifestyle. Like unless you have an offensive line like Dallas or um or like Pittsburgh, you know, like a really great offensive line. You can't just run every single play in the in the world imaginable. And Houston tries to do that. As much resources they've invested into their offensive line, it's not a great one. And so a lot of, I saw a lot of zone reads, a lot of penetration, and a lot of the just like unblocked second-level defenders because, again, they're just running that same stupid tied in the backfield. Here comes some running into the flat uh, zone read. So what did you see from the run game on first down specifically? I just want to, barring from our friend of the blog, Rivers McCown, who who put this together, and I just thought this was so perfect, and you had the perfect stats for this too. Bill O'Brien ran Carlos Hyde into eight-plus-man boxes on 41.1% of his carries against Tampa Bay. That 41, eight-man box, 41% of the time. So does Deshaun Watson just not even have the opportunity to to get out of that play is he not allowed to to change the play call and i don't think he does i really don't think he does i really think that this is bill o'brien saying look if i call this crap on first down this is the play that's going to go you could bring in 12 guys in a box in a box eating locks for the 13th guy and 
it would still be Carlos Hyde up the middle. In the three games where his 8-plus box percent is over 30%, 5, 13, and 16 those weeks, Hyde has run 48 times for 104 yards. So like 2.1 yards a carry, not mm-hmm. even that. Why? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I just don't... And in the post-game conference, Bill O'Brien's like, oh, yeah, I need to do a better job about not calling a you know, run up the middle every first down that every team is sitting on that even Mike Vrabel, leader of men, knows that you're going to do. I mean, it, it, oh, my God. I, I just don't even have words for it anymore. It's like <laughs> beyond ludicrous. It's like, it's like doing the same thing over and over. It's in the, you know, the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And, and really, if you look at the offense this year, the biggest difference between the offense in 2018 and 2019 is Carlo Hyde's, Carlos Hyde's like success rate. 1.5 yards to carry, extra than compared to Alfred Blue, or yeah. like 0.7 yards, more, more yards to carry than Lamar Miller. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it's also been kind of fun to watch the, the whole establish the run thing just like start off, you know, with a trickle here. Because like I start posting, I think, on Twitter, like, I don't know, week six or so. And I was like, this is so unbelievably stupid they keep doing it. I think it was the first indie game. And then we bring it up on the show, and then it becomes a thing on the website. And then now Bill O'Brien's getting asked it you know, during press conferences, which is fun. Um, I think one of the things that you brought up that I really want to talk about was this idea of, like, Watson has multiple plays he can run at the line of scrimmage. Because that's kind of the argument for the offense, well, or the, for you know the pro Bill O'Brien argument in this situation is that, well, Watson has multiple plays he can run on first down or whatever, and he's running these run plays or he's calling these run plays. It's like if that's the way you, the problem with that though is like if that's the way your offense is built, where whatever read he has that leads to a run play on first down, that's a complete design flaw in the offense itself by whatever the numbers are you're looking for, whatever the formation you're going with, whatever signal that Watson has to call a run play on those downs, that's a complete, you know, just flaw at the offense design. And I really can't even put that blame on Watson or whatever because he just does or the coaching staff tells him to whenever he does make the decisions at the first down. And the other thing, it's like he doesn't, we don't know what they say, what they don't say, and what rules they have and how the offense is built. Uh, all you can do is make inferences. And I have nothing at all that I've seen like watching him that he has some like big control and command of the offense on first down. Like It's not like watching Dak Prescott where you see a bunch of motions and a bunch of hand signals and he waits until there's like one second left to run the play. It's not like watching the Rams where Jared Goff has his daddy talking in his ear until the clock strikes off and then he has to change his and then he can read the entire defense with him and then make make his calls from there too. So I don't I don't buy that argument at all whatsoever. I think it's dumb. Um, I think it's stupid. And even if that is true that you know Watson has Watson's making these decisions again, that goes off the it goes off the architect of the offense, which is O'Brien and Tim Kelly, and it's horrendous and. And, like, I understand running the ball in first down. Like, I understand a lot of teams do it. I know a lot of things that we kind of do are maybe a little myopic where we don't take an entire landscape of the league where a lot of teams run the ball on first down. But the reason why it makes it so dumb in this game specifically is the Buccaneers are so good at stopping the run. They load the box up. They're, they have great interior defenders. David is spectacular. The Texans can't block the second level. And it was just a perfect storm for having an awful, horrendous, you're truly decrepit running offense, running offensive attack in this game. Yeah, and you look at some of these games, and they're amazing. Uh, you know, against Tampa Bay, 1.6 yards per attempt, 17 attempts. Uh, New England, 1.7 on 10 attempts. 
uh, Indy, 2.9 on 12. Atlanta, 2.9 on 21. Chargers, 1.9 on 10. It's almost like, I really, I keep going back to, it's almost like Chris Johnson's year. It's like two yards, two yards, four yards, two yards, two yards, 99 yards. You know, it's kind of ridiculous. And you can't, when you, we've talked about it often, I just want to say it again. The problem is you start out first down and you get that whopping 1.6 yards per attempt. And all of a sudden it's second and eight, second and nine. And then if you run again, it's third and nine. And so you're putting yourself in third and nine, third and long, second and long positions, like almost on purpose. Mm-hmm. And I don't get it. Yeah. And I like to the numbers for that too, for today as well. Um, and the other weird thing about first downs is how often Watson gets sacked on first down. And so it's like, even they, even whenever they throw the ball in first down, sometimes he has really great games where he's you know, nine for 10 for 112 yards. And there's other games like this game where he, had, he was sacked three times on first down and you know, the Bucks are just blitzing a lot. I think a lot of those throws off play action. And Houston's been so bad at scheming their play action passing attack this year. Like, watch Tennessee. Watch Tampa Bay. Like, I really liked watching Tampa Bay's play action game because you can see the box loaded up. You're like, oh, okay, I'm ready for it. And just how they also move the pocket and then use that to get the defense going one way and throw across. Like, that throw to the University of Texas byproduct. Uh, it's like the two-yard line was a spectacular play that Tampa runs at least, like, one or two times a game. It seems to work pretty well. But so Houston had six offensive points of their own, and they their average second down was 9.57 yards. So they have first down. Oh, and their their first down, I guess, at, at this point, is averaging, you know, 0. 0.43 yards of play on first down. So on second down, they're, Watson's on average facing 9.57 yards. Uh, they faced five second downs that were 11-plus yards. Watson second down was 8 for 16 for 61 yards. Hyde only ran the ball twice for eight yards on second down. And so you're putting Watson in the most difficult situation possible on second down by putting him in this situation. And then this sets up a lot of short throws and incompletions on second down. Like whenever Watson was even throwing these situations, I saw a lot of short passing, which is dumb because the Bucks are a good short pass defense. And then you lead into these third and long passing situations, which is really dumb and bad because the Buccaneers have the second highest blitz rate in the league. And they love to blitz. They love to bring slot corners. They love to bring, you know, six plus defenders. And now you have a team that one is bad at picking up the blitzes and two, you know, never really seems to gel with their hot routes and their short throwing options either. And so Watson's just kind of trapped and, you know, crumbling and having to do things like outrun every member of the Bucks defensive line to pick up first downs and uh, or like break away out tackles and find Jordan Aikens and things like that. So did you see something similar from their offensive game plan, kind of the way this game played out? Yeah, it's just so depressing because, you know, you, you watch other teams, you watch like the Rams and you watch the the the. Um, oh, my God, the 49ers over the weekend, you watch that big game that they played. And it's like it's the difference between the play action is this play action and rolling guys out and creating different throwing angles. And we don't do that at all. Mm-hmm. It's a play action. And Deshaun Watson sitting right there in the pocket. He's not getting outside of the tackles with, with two passing routes available to him also. Right. Cause we're, we have to go and max protect so often because we have to protect that offensive line. And so he's getting yard. We're getting so many yards on, on the ground, but look, this is a, this is an, an MVP, legit MVP candidate. 
and we keep giving the ball to like the sixth best guy on our offense on a regular basis. And I just don't get it. And it's so frustrating to watch. It's that's what gets me the most. It's like, why take the ball out of Deshaun's hands and give it to Carlos Hyde? Why put the, why t- even take that risk? And, uh, uh, it's just it's so frustrating, Matt. I just don't even, sometimes I just want to just you know yell a whole string of cuss words because that's how I feel about it. <laughs> the funny thing too about that Rams game that I love was you know we talk about with DeAndre Hopkins where whenever he's lined up against somebody, you know um, I'm trying to think of a good example here. I even remember who they even played last week. Like last week, whenever he's lined up against I don't know like Trayvon Mullen in Oakland. There's no or to hear Whitehead in Oakland. There's no limits to the number of times you can give DeAndre Hopkins the ball. And so I loved about that Rams offensive game plan was like, yeah, you can just keep running bootleg right, bootleg left, and just run a variation of route combinations off of it. And there's you can just keep doing it. Like there's no rule that you can't that you can only run that play X amount of times. And every single time the every single time the Rams ran a bootleg play, it worked. And they moved the ball really great through that first half and put San Francisco in a hole and ended up losing that game because of that blown coverage and that Emmanuel Sanders catch. But throughout that game, they just kept running the same play and it works every single time. And so like Houston's kind of the opposite where they keep running the same play that doesn't work any time. So that's, I, I hate it so much. The fake the handoff to the, or put the tight end in motion out of the backfield, fake the handoff, read the defender, and your read is either keep it or throw the flat to Darren Fells for two yards. And it does, it, <laughs> It hasn't worked since the Kansas City game, and I hate it so much. Or it hasn't worked since the Oakland game. I hate it so much, and um, it's so stupid. But I think of all the game plans we've seen this year, this was the worst one offensively. One reason, like we mentioned, all the first down running. Two, all of the long third down situations that put Watson into. And three, the Bucks are 30th in DVOA against deep passing attempts. Watson was two for six on throws over 10 yards. He was one of two for throws over 20-plus yards. He attempted 24 passes less than 10 yards to the air. He completed 17 of them for 133 yards. Uh, those two deep pass attempts were the completion to Andre Carter, where he was up against Levante David, and then he sent F4, which really made me upset. I mean, I had to tell my children about what the F4 was, and I hated having to do that. So I don't like DeAndre and Carter. And out. That yeah. Was, that was really uncomfortable. <sighs> God. I don't know what I'm after. I still... I still have to have this conversation with them. I'm horrified to do it. The other was the deep pass interception of Kenny Stills. Now, Will Fuller got knocked out of the lineup with a groin injury, but still, even with him on the field, they attempted zero passes over 20 yards against a Buccaneers defense that plays long man coverage, plays with one safety deep a lot of time, who has been beat all year with deep passing attempts, and Houston with the premier downfield thrower and Watson and great receivers like Fuller when he was healthy. Stills and Hopkins just completely refused to attack the defense in this manner at all whatsoever. I, there's so much to say about that. And I don't know where it, where the problem is. If the break, if if the breakdowns on the play calling, which I think is a big part of it, I think there's a massive distrust still in the offensive line. I think we're seeing kind of the, the, uh, uh, carization kind of of Deshaun Watson where he's getting he's just kind of gun shy about getting hit and he got hit a lot on Saturday um or if it's the play calling itself with that we're we're doing play action we're putting two guys and staying in max protect and Deshaun's still getting hit which I don't understand why they go so far in max protection too like it's just it's a trap you know yeah I mean 
and I think a lot of it's just because Bill O'Brien is so obsessed with every quarterback is Tom Brady. And so whatever we do, we cannot get Deshaun Watson outside of the tackles to do anything. And then when we see Watson outside the tackles, it's because he's scrambling. It's because he's been forced out of the pocket. It's not because it's a forced play design mm-hmm. to get him out of the pocket. So I really do think it goes back to the core Bill O'Brien basic that every quarterback is Tom Brady and I cannot treat him differently. And the and only so, time they give him out of the pocket, it's that same stupid zone same replay stupid, too. That's the only right. time you ever see him out of the pocket. So it's so it's just frustrating on so many levels to see like this massive waste of what Deshaun Watson can really give you as a quarterback. I mean, look, if you were to take Jared Goff and put Deshaun Watson on the Rams, they'd be putting up fifty points a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd you be, know, just it'd be horrifying how play, good they'd be. Play play action bootleg levels. There you go. Yeah, I would love to see a simulation where you have Mahomes in Houston and Watson in Kansas City. And see like the difference in their careers um, with the like the numbers that Watson put in Kansas City compared to what Mahomes could put in Houston because I do think Mahomes is better than Watson, but I wonder how much the difference between the two would be if we're able to see that. So we had a question from at Zuper underscore Zan: Is O'Brien getting worse? Only one offensive touchdown, still trying to establish the run, and didn't know he could kneel it out. So do you think he's gotten worse as this year has progressed? No, I think this is who Bill O'Brien is. I mean, personally, this is he he's he's never owned a copy of Madden. I mean, I've made that joke many times. It's no longer a joke. It's not even remotely funny anymore because it's clear. Look, he won his first cha- he's like one for seven for yeah, his last I, seven I thought he won a won challenge. One. Yeah, I thought he won a challenge earlier this year and was like Rich Eisen was so sarcastic about it after calling, you know, Justin Winston and uh, you know, Jameis Watson right. the entire game. But his sarcastic comments like, Well, good for Bill O'Brien, he finally won a uh, challenge this year, which I thought he would have won one earlier in the year, but yeah, it's kind of fun like how many timeouts he's wasted. The other thing that's fun too is how much Bruce Arians loves to challenge pass interference just because he's like just angry and scowling and has to get that out of him. He's like, okay, I feel a lot better now. It's like a Snickers commercial. It's like, Bruce, you're always angry whenever you don't uh, challenge a pass interference penalty. And and how many has he won? Zero? I'm I think zero. no, he won one because against oh, Arizona, the yeah, where the cornerback just falls down, rolls over his legs, and then Arizona, uh, Tampa Bay beat Arizona that game because of that. That was a fun game I think too. That, that was Patrick Peterson too who did that. I think. I can't, yeah, I can't remember exactly who, but yeah, it was a okay. corner route where he's beat completely, and the cornerback just does the alligator death roll on the back of his legs. <laughs> We've all been there. Um, but no, I don't think he's getting worse. He's always been this bad. He really has. It's just we you know, we'll beat the Falcons and then everybody's all excited and, and not, you know, understand that he just didn't even know he could kneel out the ball at the end of the game. And, you know, when my son, who, who never played football, because I wouldn't let him, when he never played football and only played Madden and sitting there next to me watching the game going, why aren't they kneeling? Emoji shrug. Yeah, and the other weird thing about that too was the fourth and one where Houston comes out to go for it, and then the Bucks burn a timeout. Oh, God. And because they saw a formation, ah. like, the only reason for that is because Houston has one play in that situation where, like, they, you know, because a lot of coaches, the way they design their offense is they have plays for every situation, and they kind of go from there rather than just having, like, you know, variety of plays out of different formations. And I think the Texans have one play called that situation left, and once the Buccaneers called the timeout, they didn't have anything else they can go with. And they ended up punting, which gave you know Tampa their chance to to come back and win, or at least tie at twenty three twenty, which led to the last Winston interception. But I thought that was hilarious. I really enjoyed that. 
Yeah, I forgot to look at the uh God, what's it called? The uh Oh, the point the probability <sighs> swing. Yeah, no, it's the uh cowardly cowardly points. Oh yeah, yeah, that. the cowardly punt index. Yeah, whatever it's called. Yeah, I forgot to look that one up. That was would have been pretty high up there, I think. But we had the lead, so it's not as bad. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this maybe this question was important. I may really want to bring up this idea of like, well, the Texans are good, or Bill Brown's good because the Texans win games. Well, I think one of the problems with that argument is that they're five and zero in their last five one score games. They're eight and three one score games this year. And this is a team that's you know all in on this year, and I would say all in on next season in a lot of ways. And they devoted so many resources and draft capital to this roster, and they're a team that has an expected win loss record of seven point eight and seven point two. And so, as far as performance goes, and on a play by play basis, they're around like a five hundred team. They've been profited by these one score wins, and so I think the biggest thing to remember is that the Texans are a talented football team. The reason why they win games is because they have a lot of talent on the team. I know that you disagree with that on the defensive end especially, but I know I'm wrong about their... I picked them to go 8-8 eight and eight this year, and one of the things I really underrated were, one, how good defensive coordinator Romeo Cronell is, and two, how great Deshaun Watson is. And so whenever you have a quarterback like Deshaun Watson, you're going to win football games. You're going to win a lot of them because he's spectacular and amazing, that sort of thing. But the problem that the Texans run into, and we're about to see this postseason is that whenever the talent level is similar or the Texans have the worst, the less amount of talent on the team or on the field, like the Ravens, for example, who have 12 Pro Bowlers and Houston has three, is that without great coaching, you don't stand a chance against these sort of teams. Without turnover luck, you don't stand a chance against these sort of teams. And so the Texans are constantly just kind of like stuck in the spot where the talent's good enough to get them an AFC South championship. The talent's good enough to get them maybe to the divisional round, and that's happened you know, once in Bill O'Brien's career, or I guess twice. No, it was once in Bill O'Brien's career they made it to the divisional round. And then from that point on, you know, whenever you start playing Baltimore, New England, Kansas City, and in the postseason where all three of those teams, I guess except for New England, uh, like Kansas City's playing their, be- their best football right now. Baltimore's spectacular. New England's defense is you know, really great. And whenever you go up against these teams and the talent level is you know equal, maybe against New England, you can say it may be equal in that situation. But whenever it's below, like whenever they play Kansas City and Baltimore, and even in Buffalo in a certain way, like where where is that advantage going to come? It doesn't come from the coaching. And so Texans continuously you know lose these sorts of games, and they've had some better luck this year. But I think that's kind of the the biggest problem about all this is that yeah, like they're just kind of stuck, and you know we're kind of mired in the same situation every single year and every single time because of the coaching specifically. Yeah. And, and let's look at the, the practical impact of what we've done, what we did in 2019, as far as building this roster is we spent on the offensive side of the ball, offensive side of the ball for 2019, we spent three first round picks, two second round picks and two third round picks. So out of the next, you know, from the 2019 to the 2021 draft, we basically have a second round pick and a third round pick. No, I'm sorry. Three third round picks. Two, two. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Three, two, two. So, and what do we have from those eight picks? We've got Laramie Tunsil, Max Sharping, Titus Howard, Duke Johnson, and Kahale Waring. So we got five guys from those eight picks. So, like one of those guys hasn't seen the roster all year 
two of those guys have already been demoted from their tackle positions they were originally drafted for, and then we had to get Tunzel. And that's what we've given up for this roster. For the massive move in DVOA, offensive DVOA, from like 21st to we're probably going to be right around 16 or 17 mm-hmm. uh, after this weekend. Look, I don't know how much more, how many more resources you're supposed to throw at your offense and get better, and we have barely notched up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a that's a great point. And I haven't even seen him warring on the sideline even. Like, I have no idea at all what's going on there whatsoever. Like, I feel like he's just hanging out in San Diego, just waiting to get released after this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a great point. Like, they invest all this and they're kind of stuck here. And yeah, it's just, I don't know, like, the entire thing is just kind of strange. And one thing I think that's also, you know, like, for me this season, as far as just being a fan, like, after they beat New England, like, I don't know, like, I'm not, I can't really get too worked, I don't get really worked up after any, like, win or loss in general, but I was really excited, happy after New England, because they finally beat New England after all that, but this postseason, like, personally, like, I don't have really any big expectations or any, you know, grander things, like, whatever happens, happens, and, you know, I'm fine with or whatever, but I think the fans who are, like, generally, you know, upset with Bill O'Brien or have a lot of distaste for him, I think the problem, the biggest problem is that we've already seen this team win AFC South Championships before O'Brien and with O'Brien, and we've seen them make it to the divisional round, you know, I guess four times or whatever and lose each time. And so it's going like you're like just watching the same team do the same thing where after a whole year waiting, watching them play, they just end up in the same spot and you just keep doing it over and over and over again. And so, like, yeah, even though 11 wins is better than being, you know, a four and 12 team or whatever, it's still like that just, it's still just like being stuck on repeat and just the mundanity in a way of be like, yeah, I kind of think I know what's going to happen already. And they're not being like anything a little bit more. And that was what was so much fun about the Kansas City wins and New England wins this year where that you're like, okay, well, maybe there may be something here if they are able to change their game plans up and um, do these specific things that work against these teams or whatever. And now after watching this Tampa Bay game and even watching, you know, the week before against Tennessee where injury luck or turnover luck had a lot to do with that win. And the week before that, that blog against Denver, like it's it's really kind of completely turned around from what happened in week eight and week ten to compare to what's happening right now. Yeah, and a couple of those victories. I mean, the Patriots didn't have anybody who could catch the ball. Yeah, and the Chiefs were really banged up, and Mahomes got hurt the next week. And and you know these, I think, and the Chiefs are actually playing decent defense right now, which is maybe the craziest thing of all. Like they don't completely suck right now. How's their run defense been? better i mean because and they then they got lee suggs off the wire and he was pretty he was pretty good last night mm-hmm. i forgot and, to turn the game on in the background and jones is back like you mentioned before which jones, is like having jj watt back pretty equivalent so you know the, the chiefs are a much better team we're gonna possibly get jj watt back i think we're gonna talk about that a little bit later mm-hmm. but there is such a groundhog state feel to this team and when you, when i look at the team i don't even see a top 10 team and a good friend of mine texted me uh, after the victory on Saturday and said, if the 2018 Texans were the worst 11 and five team I've ever seen, then the 2019 Texans are going to be the second worst 11 and five team I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to go back and look at all the 11 win teams before, but I can't think of anything that really stands out off of that. But yeah, I mean, it's it, the other weird thing too, about the season, just how the schedule broke where they're projected to have the toughest schedule this year. And it really hasn't been just like how many weird like little things happen. Like even this game, Buffalo, I mean, Tampa Bay is without Mike Evans. They're without Chris Godwin, two of the best receivers in football. And they're trying out Rashad Perriman and Justin Watson. They have Scotty Miller. Like that's how banged up they were. And it worked out pretty well. Um, so 
I don't know. The other thing I want to bring up about the offense were that there were a lot of complaints about Watts in this game. The Bucks sacked him five times. They hit him six times. And there was just a lot of, I guess, like, you know, there's something wrong with him. He's missing throws. He usually misses. And one of the things I want to bring up, if you go back and look at some of these incompletions, especially the throwback to Aikens on play action, misses him high. The angle route that Duke Johnson ran where he you misses him on that one too. Watson's dealing with a lot of pressure on these throws that he's missing. He's in the grasp on a lot of these throws. I think we've really been spoiled by how good he is where he makes those throws, you know, 95% of the time. And whenever he misses four of them in a game or five of them game, we're just like, what's wrong with him? Watson sucks. He's so bad this game. But in reality, like most quarterbacks don't make those throws. He's just been so good against the pressure. He's been so good at making throws to defenders in their faces that you kind of lose sight of like, oh yeah, if this was, you know, if this was Drew Locke, those would be incompletions. If that was um, Ryan Tannehill, that'd be an incompletion. And Watson's been so good at making throws on the run. So I don't even really think Watson had that bad a game. I think he was in an impossible... Well, I think he had a bad game, but I think it's because he was in a nearly impossible situation with all the second and longs he faced that he was forced throwing on against all the pressure that he was stuck dealing with on third third and long and third downs in general and go, be, being blocked with an offensive <laughs> line that doesn't do a very good job against picking up blitzes too. Yeah, and I think just doing some quick math, I think we're we're going to wind up around 20th on strength of schedule. So it's not as... Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, not like the we're toughest doing a top in the five. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not even close. And, and, you know, we got really lucky that Andrew Luck retired number one. Um, and the Colts didn't Watson, spend any money this offseason. Right. They love so to overvalue their own players. It's like a fantasy football team where nobody will make a trade. Right. Oh, are you talking about me? Anyway. No. Um, Shouts out to <laughs> Sam, by the way, for, for winning that Jack. He'll never get to have touch my naked body. No, no, because this touched my, oh my God. That's what I did, oh, so I was with Mies BFD last night. I was getting my frustration out by not, oh wait, I shouldn't talk about that here. Yeah, she hmm. doesn't listen to the podcast anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, she probably doesn't even want to look at the jacket after that. Um, <laughs> Watson looked hurt to me. I'll just flat out say it. Is He kept grabbing his ankle Achilles, and what I saw from that is he was not able to set correctly. He was not able to get back correctly. Um, I think that was a really big deal as far as, as you know, as far as accuracy goes, because when, when you're, and it doesn't matter if it's your plant or push when you're, when your legs are hurt, when you're throwing a thrower of the ball, whether you're a pitcher, whether you're a quarterback, when you can't get on your feet correctly, you have been so trained to to do things a certain way and it's really hard to adapt differently and especially when you're hurt everything has a tendency to go high because you don't want to either you're when you step back like it hurts and when you land it hurts and so what your body's going to do is going to compensate by going high and that's what i saw on the game on sunday is that he was everything was high because he was hurting he couldn't land correctly on that uh, ankle's heel mm-hmm. yeah i i didn't really think of it like that and I know you're better at throwing mechanics than I am. And I think, yeah, I can see that entirely too. And I think it's a really, I know you brought that with Shab a lot as well, that once his legs went out, like there goes his arm. And Watson has a, a good arm, but he's not like in the top, you know, 10% of just pure arm strength quarterbacks. And so I think a lot of things that he does are, you know, involving his legs directly and his ability to generate power from, you know, the lower half of his body. Um, this isn't like Randy Johnson, you know, throwing the, ba- throwing the football around there. And arm strength was kind of like one of the concerns of his coming out of the draft. And he's, his arm strength is really 
was good whenever he put everything he had into it, and it's improved greatly since he's been the pros. But this isn't like Mahomes who can throw the ball, you know, blindfolded off his back foot or with one leg, you know, 80 yards down the field too. And so I think any injury yeah. to his lower half is going to have a much more dramatic effect on him than maybe you know Ryan Tannehill or or a quarterback like that who's of a different mold and species and creature and being. Right. Randy Johnson's the outlier just because of his motion, because he was just a pure tall and fall kind of guy. When you're more of a driver like Watson is, and what the legs do, just really quickly, what the legs do is it's all about turning the hips into the ball. It's all about getting set, getting square with your shoulders to where you're going to throw the ball and then whipping those hips into the right position. And when you have weakness in your legs, you're losing that strength, or I mean, because of your legs, you're losing that hip whip movement that gets the ball to where you want to go. And especially if it's your land foot, if it's your, uh, that you're, that's hurt, everything's going to go high because every time you're going to be dropping back, you're going to think this is going to hurt like hell when I hit the ground. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is your shoulders stay open and you don't close correctly because that's putting more weight onto your foot. Interesting. And and maybe that's something to do with their offensive game plan. I doubt it, but Maybe that's the only excuse I think you can come up with for this game plan was that Watson was hurt, but they still ran, they still threw the ball in every second down. They threw the ball in every third down. And I just think Watson was in an impossible situation this game. And uh, I don't think this is a game where you can say like, yeah, he was horrendous or terrible or whatever. I think there was a lot of extenuating circumstances involved in this one from, from his set of, uh, from his play specifically. Yeah, and it happened in the second quarter too. So it's not like it happened in, like it happened at game time. He was hurt in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. So th- that's why the whole kind of game plan. We just go back to the stats. You can't run Carlos Hyde up the middle for ten of your first eleven, you know, first downs. You know, even Mike Vrabel, excuse me, Mike Vrabel, is like, yeah, the Texans have a certain thing that they do, and it's kind of like, duh. Yeah, I don't think very much, and I know their offense. So we had a Twitter question from at Smith Grandmall with two A's. He said, Watson didn't have a great game. He struggled in the first half, and then seemed to be pressing early in the second, forcing some quarterback runs that weren't there. What's up with Watson? We you know we just discussed that. But the second question was, fellas, this has disappeared. Can it be more than a short out option, or has he peaked? The team's picked up on it. You, it, you have to change your game planning week to week. You have to. And Bill O'Brien does not have the ability to do that. He just simply, something works, he does it. It stops working, he still continues to do it. And it takes him a good eight games to figure that out. Yeah, and I mean, like, game plan, like we talked about, you know, all the way in week eight against Kansas City was that was a great game plan. Like, it worked out perfectly for them. They did a great job covering up their pass defense by being able to control the ball and dominate the Chiefs linebackers and everything else, too. And then it worked against Oakland because they had bad linebackers. It worked against Jacksonville because they had bad linebackers. But now playing against teams like Tampa Bay and Indianapolis, um, New England, those things don't really work at all. It has to be about pushing the ball downfield and play action and moving the pocket and using <coughs> Watson's mobility. That should be the focal point of the offense. And instead of the focal point of the offense is a stupid play and establishing the run as well too. Uh, I mean, with fellas, the problem with him is that he's not that good of a blocker. And we saw a really good example of that was that Max Protect sack he gave up against Jason Pierre-Paul. We're like, yeah, he can chip and stuff, but he's not like a dominating blocker. He's not very good at the second level either. He's big and strong. And whenever he's like in the flat route, he doesn't do much after the catch. And like he can box out guys in the end zone or whatever. 
But he's not a tight end that you can really use in the slot and have him be guys in man coverage or whatever. Um, I think he's been better than than expected considering how little they gave him and the where they've signed the offseason and everything else. And as his role in the team, like he's greatly exceeded his expectations. But as far as him being like a dynamic player that really changes in offense, he's not that at all whatsoever. And I think Houston has more of that in Aikens and Robinson, who's in the doghouse with Kale Waring. And I still really like Waring. I could see him you know, being the type of guy who goes to, like, I don't know, New England or whatever, or Cincinnati even, and having a good career. Like, wherever, like, any place that values, like, talent uh, and doesn't, you know, not like him because he's too hot for, you know, Bill O'Brien. And so, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I think Fellas has had a very good season considering who he is and where he's at as a player, but he's not, like, a dynamic player. So, I don't know. I guess peaked is probably the best word for it. Daniel Fells has a good role on this team, but that role does not include the Ryan Griffin role. And mm. I think that's what Bill O'Brien is trying to shoehorn him into. He's trying to shoe, he's trying to make Daniel Fells into Ryan Griffin. And it's like, look, Fells is a guy you want him going forward down the field. You do not want him moving laterally. And that's what they keep doing to him. It's like, just cut him down. Just cut him down. It's not that hard. But if he's running forward into you down the field, good God, get the hell out of the way and save yourself. And so, look, even as a small guy who, who, when I played football, the big guys going laterally, you hit them. And they're coming at you. You, you hit them high. low, too, as well. Oh, yeah. Laterally. You just take them out. You just take their legs out. There's a great example so, of that against, I can't remember who they even played last week. Uh, not, against, <laughs> not against Tennessee. There's a great example of that. Oh, no, oh, Cream, uh, Cream, uh, no it was Cream Jackson that did a great job taking out Fellas' oh. legs with him running laterally. I, yep. Yeah, my brain is as holes after watching Jameis Winston play football. Um, the next question we had here was from at your mom. Would this offense be better with the Brock launcher and on this podcast and this website and this very serious journalistic operation that we're running? It's name redacted. So would this offense be better with him? They have a lot of tight ends now. You know, you can't forget that portion of it. I think the the biggest takeaway that I have from this question is that we've all lost our minds. Is that really how much different is this offense under Watson than it was under Osweiler? I mean, the core concepts are the same. We've thrown in some new things. We've thrown in jet sweeps. We've thrown in these options, these RPOs occasionally. But how much is the core offense really all that different, especially on first and second down? And it's not. Mm -hmm. So who cares? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't want to delve I'm flipping deep. It. I don't I'm like this one. about that. Yeah, I want yeah. to delve deeper in this one. Um, it's hateful. <laughs> yeah, it is hateful. It's ugly. We got Christmas coming up. Whatever it is you celebrate. Uh, or even if you don't, we have time off, you know, to spend with those that we love and cherish. So let's not get too ugly. So the biggest... So, so before before we transition to this next thing, I just want to say mad props to Romeo A. Crinnell again. We got no pass rush, but he was disguising... Um, defenses very well and he was blitzing occasionally kind of when he had to but look the guy is bill o'brien got to go out and spend eight first round draft picks on the offense and romeo cornell or eight you know premium draft mm -hmm. picks i'm sorry the three seven three two two the seven premium draft picks and romeo cornell got lonnie johnson who didn't get a single snap yeah, on Sunday. yeah, he's been phased out of the rotation, which is good. Like, I think that's best for Lonnie as far as his like development as a player. He shouldn't. I wasn't expecting anything from Lonnie until his third year in the league, and they had to play him right away this year. You know, 
right? But and then he got Bradley Roby on a one year deal. So almost like we talk about investment, Bill O'Brien invested seven premium picks in the offense, and Romeo Cornell got Lonnie Johnson. And that's not a you know Bradley Roby's not an investment. Vernon Hargraves is not an investment. Conley's not an investment. So what Cornell has been able to do is beyond, to me, is beyond amazing. I just can't even believe this defense plays as well it does, as well as it does sometimes. Yeah, and he lost Watt, and they trade Clowney, and uh, everything. And like, I think the best way to Jacob sh- Martin's hurt. Yeah, Martin's hurt now. I think the best way also, and Marwin had a good game against these kind of slower Tampa Bay tackles, but I think the best way to kind of describe you know what Cornell does is you know re talking about the play and how important film study is and whatever. And I don't think even thematically they did anything all that interesting, but I think. As a cornerback group, they were really keyed in on the type of routes Tampa Bay likes to run in certain situations. I think that's what led to a lot of these interceptions, where you guys you have guys breaking the ball, you know, whenever Watson, whenever Winston's on his last plant foot of his drop back, and they already know where he's looking to go with it. And so I think Cornell did a great job getting you know his guys ready to do that. Yep. Yeah, that was all about prep. If you look at the difference between offensive prep and defensive prep, it was striking this game. Okay. Yeah. So Will Fuller, real fast. He hurt his groin in the second quarter, I guess. And again, I want to read her at this point. The Buccaneers are 30th in pass defense DVOA and throws down the field, which are classified as throws over 15 yards to the air. The Texans attempted zero deep passes. And again, some of that's because of short fields that they had after all the turnovers, but it was still uh, incomprehensible that. They didn't push the ball downfield with him on the field, even without the without him on the field. And the offense throws without him on there. And the games that he was hurt, they only had, they only attempted twenty six passes over fifteen yards. Um, stills before the interception, I think, was eight for ten for two hundred twenty six yards on these throws. And even though he's a very good downfield thrower, they don't use him that way. Also, so like seeing the dramatic difference where it's like a a seventeen point difference with full in the lineup versus him out of the lineup, and now with him potentially being out being out next week in a meaningless game potentially being out against Buffalo, maybe even in, in the divisional round, we don't know yet. Um, do you think the Texans really have any chance at all moving forward without Fuller? No, and I think it's all psychosomatic. Um, I tweeted out something earlier that when it comes to uh, yards created down the field, Kenny Stills is ranked fifth in the league behind guys like Michael Thomas, Stefan Diggs, Tyler Lockett, and Mike Williams. And basically what this means is it's a ball thrown down the field. It's a, it's a successful, successful ball. It's a positive. It's a negative ball. It's a mm-hmm. negative, right? And Kenny Stills is way the heck up there. He's above Kenny Galladay. He's above Amari Cooper. He's above Calvin Ridley. Now, there's a sample size issue here. I get it. But look, we could be just as successful, maybe to a smaller, lesser degree, with Kenny Stills run, running these routes. I think like 70% is success, as successful. Or, and then and, also, and whenever, that, and if they can even get Kiki Cutie out there doing something too at the same time, you know, like that's kind of the problem too. It's that they don't have that third receiver because they're running Carter out there all the time instead. But even, I think even Carter out there would be, could do the Kenny kind of Kenny Stills light job. I mean, Mm -hmm. the problem is it seems like the offense just absolutely turtles when Will Fuller isn't out there. They just go, okay, that's it. We're not pushing the ball down the field. That's it. We're done. No Will Fuller. We can't do it. Yeah. We, and Stills can be teams, number two cornerbacks and he's, you know, he's a very good dynamic player and he really isn't used like that. He isn't used like that enough at all either. So I don't know. I don't, I think if, like I, like I mentioned before, if I wasn't a Houston Texans fan, 
if I was a Minnesota Vikings fan who try to watch as as much as the NFL as possible, that would be my personal rule. I would only watch the Chargers with there's three minutes or left left in the game. I would only watch the Houston Texans if Will Fuller was playing, and that would be pretty much it, you know. Yeah, so a friend of mine just said, well, he just tweeted at us, is Deshaun Watson going to make Bill O'Brien the next Mike McCarthy? God, I hope so. Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> that means they won a Super Bowl, and then you're kind of stuck wasting his career after that point. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think this is kind of the best comparison, though, kind of like where maybe we currently are, or they're just kind of stuck and they have this really dynamic you know, quarterback who makes up for their coach to such a great extent that he gets to keep his job because they win football games, but at the same time, you're – you know, shortening your window, you're not fully able to capitalize on your window because of who you have as your coach. Because again, talent's the most important thing. Talent's more important than scheme. It's more important than coaching. But whenever you're running those situations where it's equal or you have a, there's a slight advantage or disadvantage, that's where coaching is very valuable. Well said. So the Texans defense only allowed 20 points. I was going to ask you the defense was good, but I think I think you and I kind of oh, agree that the defense. I moved ahead. Sorry, it's all good. <laughs> I don't think the defense was good. I think they forced five turnovers, which is very good. But the Buccaneers still had scoring drives to 68 yards, 81 yards, 39 yards, and 58 yards. Uh, Winston missed some deep throws, and the receivers also missed some deep throws too. Like Howard diving at that pass that's about to hit him right in the chest (laughs) instead of running through it was so unbelievably absurd. And like Howard's such a great example of a guy being a great athlete but not a great football player. Uh, Justin Watson also slipped out of his break on what should have been a touchdown pass two, then up leading to a blocked field goal from Angelo Blackson instead of a touchdown from Tampa Bay. You also had the you know the famous Cameron Brake drop on fourth down. The Buccaneers try to convert by running on third and short two in this game. And so the Buccaneers had their way, and we'll get to that too. And the Buccaneers had their way moving the ball against this defense throughout the game. It was just the turnovers. And again, the Buccaneers gifted the Texans 17 points this game. And they still only won by three points, you know? And so, like, like Houston won. Great, they won, whatever. It was a fun game because the Buccaneers played how you should play against the Texans. They played how they typically play. And uh, and the turnovers were, you know, expected. I've watched a lot of Bucks games. But that's why the Texans won this game, was because the Buccaneers had five turnovers. It wasn't necessarily because, you know, Houston's offense, or the defense was great specifically in any, any way, aside from playing the ball, you know, three different times. Right. Uh, and it, it's, it's such a dichotomy watching the Texans defense right now because like the talent is trash, especially on the back end. But their safety plays good, which helps them out a lot. Justin Reed's amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's absolutely amazing. And then Zach Cunningham against the runs amazing. And Gibson and takes got... away the entire deep middle, middle part of the field. Like the Bucks, mm-hmm. I think you no know, Winston attempted zero passes to the deep middle part of the field. Everything was deep sideline because Gibson just stands there. And he removes the entire you know, section of the field. And I think Gibson did not have a good game. He was three for three for 52 yards against for a 118 QB rating. So he did not have a great game. In man, in man coverage. But, you know, as far as yeah. just like, I mean, again, the Bucks attempted complete zero passes to the deep middle part of the field, you know, because he just stands out there. Right. Um, which is, you know, it's easier to throw the ball to the deep middle than to the deep sidelines, you know. So yes. the, the Bucks had 21 rushing attempts for 106 yards. And Bernard McKinney was out this game. I didn't think it was going to make that much of an impact, but it seemed like it did. The difference between him and Callum Bailey and Tyrell Adams out there instead of McKinney. 
Cunningham had a fine game. It's been awesome just to watch him attack guys as a weak side linebacker. And the other weird thing about the run offense was the Buccaneers have a trio on the interior composed of Alex Kappa, uh, Ali Marpet, and Jensen. And they all look like pirates. Like they should be on the seven seas. They should have two cans on their shoulders. They should be missing teeth. Their gums should be bloody and bleeding. They're all long haired and disgusting. And I've never seen DJ Reader get pancaked as much as he was this game. Like Reader was angry. He was upset after every play. I haven't seen him get moved, get pushed around on the interior like he did. And the Texans just really didn't have as many plays in the second level that they typically do without McKinney out there. So BFT, this is a question from at Smooth Grandma. Is there anything worse than watching Callum By filling for Bernard and McKinney at linebacker? Describe last question. Is there anything worse than Tyrell Adams filling in for Callum By at linebacker? Oh gosh. You know, anybody who listens to this podcast knows that I have a serious man crush on Bernardrick McKinney. So, you know, there, there are worse things to see that would be like Angelo Blackson playing for JJ Watt, but or, it's or a Charles and Maine who from... stopped in the run for JJ Watt, which has been the big problem right. for their run defense this year. Right. Cause you know, Charles did not have a great game on Sunday. He had that. I think he had a clutch sack at the end, but, no, that was no. the game before. Yeah, where like Tan Hills at his three as three yard line and right had that last minute sack. Yeah, but you know he was used all game too. He's he's what he is. He's a rookie defensive end that is was taken in the fifth round, fourth round. So yeah, that was kind of sadness. There was a lot of sadness with that. McKinney yeah, not being there. Yeah, it's, I mean the inside line. It's like their defense is built on the interior. From Reader and Reader's playing three four defensive end now, and Dunn's been very good moving in a nose tackle. But it's built from you know them and Blackson's a good a good run stopper, and the fact that he doesn't make run tackles, but he ties up blocks going up to McKinney and Cunningham and then up to their safety play. Um, it's an inside out defense. So Smooth Grandma's other question was: Angel Blackson led the defense in pro far Paul fo- focus with a grave eighty seven point one. Is he the hero we all deserved all along? And then disregarding Blackson's rating, Justin was impressive. It seemed like the first game he didn't aggravate his shoulder. Was this the best? Was this his best game of the season? I mean, he had a, he had a very fine game. He had another blocked field goal. That's and that's AFC special teams player of the week, Angel Blackson, in the same veins of Pro Bowl Wade Smith, and then uh, AFC defensive player of the month, Quinnen Demps. Pretty much. Yeah, hang, pretty much. Hang this up in the trophy case. You know, we got to make sure we remember these things. You know, if we were Indianapolis, we'd be like dropping these things from the ceiling like nothing. Oh, man. AFC <laughs> Special Teams Player of the Week, Angela Blackson <laughs> banner would be beautiful and spectacular. I need, get, I need to get a PhD in sports marketing so I can have the power to make decisions like that. Yes. Yes, you do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Blackson's, Blackson's a fine defensive lineman stopping the run. I mean, like he's good at controlling blocks. And the Buccaneers' offensive line is weird because their interior is really big and nasty. Their tackles are really slow, and they don't run block very well, but they're able to you know do just enough on the edge. They're not great. And a lot of their sacks be- come because they have such a vertical offense where these plays are long developing, and they don't do very much to help their offensive line. It's a lot of five guys versus five guys situations. Um, not a lot of running backs in a block, a lot of empty shotgun sets, that sort of thing. And yeah, I think Reba's great this week. I think he was even better the week before, though. 
against Tennessee where he had the force fumble at the end zone. He saved a touchdown with a run tackle. He recovered the onside kick. He saved a Jonu Smith touchdown. Um, he played a lot of great man coverage, defending passes and forcing first downs. I do think his game against Tennessee was even better, even if he had you know the turnovers in this one. Yeah, and just looking at Angela Blackson, just because it's kind of a running joke, and and uh, you know Justin Reed, you know he's he's a lot of fun to watch. But Angela Blackson's yearly grade is still forty five point four. Yeah, I wonder if they. I don't know if they're going to keep him next year, but whatever, whatever. It's fun to go back and read the comments on the post I wrote about signing Angela Blackson is very dumb, you know. Right. Um, because if you play for the Texans, you're automatically better. So you're automatically the best at your position. Yeah, especially if you're drafted by Houston too. Um, right. So this is for my own personal pleasure. Jameis Winston, the triple crown. So this is leading the league in touchdowns, interceptions, and sacks. It's something that only he could accomplish. He's second touchdowns to 31. Uh, it really is a bummer he did hit like on two more of them because he would have been a little bit closer. He's it's not out of it though because he plays Atlanta this week and Lamar Jackson's going to be benched. Jackson th- Jackson's at 36 after throwing three against the Browns last week. Interceptions, he's leading the league with 28. He could throw 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions. Entering the season, I was like, if Winston throws 12 interceptions, that'd be a great season from him. He's at 28. Uh, Mayfield and Phillip Rivers are tied for second with 18. In the sack column, he's second with 48. He's tied with Russell Wilson. Kyler Murray is right ahead of them by one. And Murray had a hamstring injury. He may not play this week. Who knows? So Winston, he throws five touchdowns against Atlanta, which could happen. Takes more sacks than Russell Wilson, which could happen. He may be actually, he may actually be able to do it. Um, you know, God's very beautiful, and hopefully this can actually happen. It's like the three true outcomes of football. I think if you're so a quarterback, too. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Be, maybe you can add another one for incompletions too. I would think. Yeah, like completions, incompletions, touchdowns, sacks, interceptions. I guess it's five true outcomes for quarterbacks. Yeah. But he's, he's the leading the league is, in, in completions. In, well, I don't know incompletions, but at least passing attempts and passing yards. So, But see, at least in, in baseball, you have walks and home runs. So you got two positives. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, love, I love watching him play. Um, it's, I was excited for the Bucks in like August. I also I wrote about how Shaq Barrett was one of the five best free agent signings this year, and uh, I'm excited for everything they're about to do. And they've been even more entertaining and more fun than I could have ever imagined my wildest dreams. And I have some pretty you know absurd dreams. Um, so Woody Merciless had two sacks. Is he back? No. <laughs> I do want to make this a good point that sacks are a stupid statistic. Uh, one of his sacks was chasing Winston out of bounds, which. Thank God it caught it counts a sack for the trip. It was like crown. a two yard sack or something, wasn't it? It was like he got sacked right, he got tackled right behind the line of scrimmage because he ran out of bounds while Merciless was touching him. The other sack right. was a two yard sack where he was uh, being picked up in a stunt and Winston tried to run up the pocket and Merciless sacked him from behind and he played the guitar afterwards, which is really great. But yeah, Merciless isn't back and O'Brien already made comments that they're hoping to be Merciless back next year. And uh, I mean, all our, I already have the film ready to go for whenever that happens, like that money going to Merciless should be used to sign like Bud Dupree, who can actually stop the run and actually rush the passer. Yeah. And Merciless is uh 30 next year, if I remember correctly. So he's hitting that magic 30 mark. There's no reason to give that guy a contract. None. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, but yeah, I think it's just a good example of sacks being a dumb statistic. And then you mentioned the hair of the dog. 
about the weird thing. I think the only weird thing about the Bucks is their play calling on third and short and fourth and short. And so I looked it up because I've been seeing them do this all year. So on third and fourth and short, Tampa Bay has 49 carries for 70 yards and only 25 first downs. Winston is 26 of 38, 226 yards, five touchdowns to two interceptions and 25 first downs on third and fourth and short. So with, you know, 11 less attempts, he has as many first downs, which is a, another good example that shows you run the ball is kind of stupid unless you're really good at it, you're in certain situations. And they lost the in game the t- to Tennessee because of that. They kind of lost the game today because, or on Sunday because of it. Um, that Titans one was incredible, though, how they tried to establish the run fourth and one against them. Yeah, and again, the, the Texans are still a very good run defense. I mean, it's just kind of stupid. Don't hit your head against that anvil when he can just pick on the cornerbacks all day. Mm-hmm. So lastly for tonight, playoffs. The Texans locked up their fourth AFC South title in six, se- in six seasons. Uh, so what do you think about the new t-shirts? Are you getting one? No. They do. <laughs> I do like saying the AFC South is usually enough, though. I kind of want to get one just because of that, where it's just like really big. The South is enough, or the South isn't enough. It's it's like again, it's like Groundhog's Day. I mean, it's the same. It's the same Shiza. It's it's a team that's poorly undercoached, and now that we have Deshaun Watson, we have a chance at least. But then we had a chance against the Colts, and they they curb spanked us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the Texans are locked into the number four seed. They're playing the Titans at three o five p.m. And Kansas City is playing at 12 o'clock against the Los Angeles Chargers. So the only way their playoff things change at all is if Kansas City loses at 12 o'clock, then they play at 3 o'clock and they go and beat the Titans. Um, if not, it looks like they're going to play the Buffalo Bills next weekend, which is, I already have my Larry Tensel shirt, my uh, Josh Allen shirt, in at the, at the seamstress right now getting cut up so I can morph them into one thing for that playoff game. So what do you think? Should the Texans play their stars on Sunday and try to kick the Titans out of the postseason? Or should they rest everybody and game plan for the Bills today? So so you're an instigator, Matt. So what Bill O'Brien said today is that, yes, absolutely, we're going to play all the starters on Sunday. That's right. We got kicked back to the late Sunday game. Because, bah, like we don't want to, we have to win. We always play to win. Deshaun Watson's banged up. We don't have to play to win this game. We're going to still be in the same position pretty much no matter what. Uh, Look. I think it's worth playing to win if the Chiefs lose. But the chance of the Chiefs losing are what, like 5%? um, 5%. So maybe, maybe if the Chiefs lose and go start, yeah, excuse me, start Deshaun Watson, let him go of the game. But man, without Deshaun Watson, this team is trash. I mean, it's absolute trash. This is mm-hmm. a two, three win team without Deshaun Watson. So if if he gets hurt, we have absolutely no shot. I think it's absolutely moronic that Bill O'Brien has this thought process. And this is like, again, it kind of goes back. Bill O'Brien still thinks it's 1978. He has not grown out of 1978. He still has to establish a run, and every player has to out machismo the player on the other side. And that's just a really bad take in 2019. Yeah, I also kind of hope they don't play their stars because I want to see the Titans in the playoffs instead of the Steelers. Um, the Steelers, like they have a top five defense, but benching Doug Hodges for Mason Rudolph is Mason absolute Rudolph. hell. Like Rudolph is my least favorite player in football. He's whiny. He complains. I, he has such a punchable face. He's not good. He cries all the time. Uh, there's nothing to do about watching Mason Rudolph play. So hopefully we can see that happen. The Steelers play the Ravens. The Titans are playing the Texans. 
and the Titans have figured out how offensive football should be played. And uh, and really the only downside about their game last week was Ryan Tannehill trapped in the pocket, taking bad sacks, which is something he's done all year long too this year. Yeah, uh, I was really hoping they would beat the Saints. I really wanted this week to be like, oh man, I was really rooting for that. I won the AFC South Championship, but it's fine. We'll take a we'll take a playoff game against the Bills without a meaningful Week 17. And like it's gonna happen one day. We'll have a Week 17 AFC South game, and whenever that happens, like I'm flying to Jacksonville or Nashville or heaven forbid <laughs> Indianapolis. Like it can be Colts Jaguars Week 17. I'm gonna go that game after waiting you know, so long for that to happen. So the last thing we have here is from Ed Smith Grandma. This is a quick game of, of over under. All right, you ready? So ready. over under number of Texans stars who don't play a snap after halftime next week. Oh God, we don't have many left. Uh, under. Well, like, would you say like? Oh, do I need to give a number? Yeah, yeah. Like, who are the stars? How many stars do we have? Or how many starters don't play a snap? Oh, starters. I thought you said yeah. stars. Um, I would say under 10. Yeah, I would say under 10. I would say it like under five. Like, I think he's actually going to play his guys. God. I think he's going to. Uh, I yeah. think he also kind of wants to keep Mike Rabel in the playoffs for whatever reason. So over under the number of catches for Kiki Cutie next week. Over three. I'd say zero. I don't think they're going to start. I don't think they're going to sue him up next week. I think they're going to keep him inactive. Probably. Uh, I'm just thinking that they, they're going to sit. If they sit fuller, then Cutie might be suited up. Yeah, I guess so. That's a good point. I don't know. I could just see him and, you know, Robinson and Warring and him all snuggled up in a heat lamp in the doghouse while it's, you know, 15 degrees outside. The last oh. one I have here is big play Barcavius Mingo sightings. Um, <laughs> No, I bet you he's gonna. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take a. I'm gonna take a risk. I'm gonna say over ten. I would say I would take the under, but I would go over five. It's I like. I love looking out for him. It's one of the best parts of watching the Texans. It's like play. sports, and then you scream. It's like a you know I spy. It's like where's Waldo? You know, <laughs> and then you scream at the television if you're whenever I watch the game. Somebody's like, what? What are you yelling about? What's wrong with you? It's like oh, it's just this like. Fun thing, my friends on the internet and I do. You understand it. You you don't get it. Um, right. So We're too cool. Are you afraid of Josh Allen and the rampaging Buffalo Bills? Absolutely. Yeah, because he's gonna he's gonna break down the defense unlike anybody else. And he was that, good against you know, Houston when they played him his rookie year, and then Watt hit his elbow, knocked him out of the game. But he stiff armed JJ Watt that game, and he was really great on the run. You know, the weird thing about that game though is that. The Bills have a bad run defense, and the best way to beat the Bills is to run the ball. And the Texans are going to have to run the ball to beat Buffalo. And so, like after saying all this all season long, it's like, yeah, they're going to have to run the ball a lot to beat Buffalo. And so, I'm going to write film room for next week. Uh, you know, the film room, the Texans need to establish the run, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's going to be very sad watching them just miss blocks the second level and. <laughs> you know, everything else that goes along with it, but they're going to have to, and it's, it's stupid, but they're going to have to. Yeah. I, I, I would say that, you know, the bills were beating us and then it was Nathan Peters 
Peterman came in and mm-hmm. threw what was it like fourteen interceptions in three minutes or something like he, that. It just felt like it. He did throw a pick six that game, if I remember correctly. Jonathan Joseph. Yep. Yeah, they iced. Yeah, he iced it with a pick six after Allen got. Allen was fun. That I'm. I'm gonna go back and watch that game sometime soon. Uh, you should. We'll see. I got Christmas to instead of talking to my family, I'll go home early and do that. <laughs> my family, I love very Sound much. Like my. You sound like my client today. Yeah, I'm at my dad's house, but yeah, let's work. Let, let's have a conference call right now. And it's like Sunday at six o'clock in the evening. It's like, thanks, dude. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna hang out with them, but I do have some time off the week after though for New Year's and everything else. Well, I, I'll have to go back and watch that game. I love Josh cool. Allen. He's the best. It's gonna be fun, uh, regardless. So that's our show for tonight. Thank you everybody for listening. Tell your friends and family on Christmas. You know, you just you will be a great Christmas present. You just get them an iPod, like classic, and just download all 115 episodes of Ballard Radio, and then give that to them for Christmas. It'd be the, it'd be like it'd be better than John Hamm announcing you giving your wife a Lexus with a big red bow on the front. It's like, that's it. I wanted Ballard Radio. Come on, you're so, you don't wow, even know I, what I love. So I've done like a hundred Battlerod Radio episodes. Wow. No, for this. Going back to that, we have a hundred plus on the mega. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we've probably have done like now, you cheater. We probably have done like five hundred or something together. Jeez, I don't know. I don't. Even, I won't even go up and look and figure it out. I'm not gonna crawl up into the attic. But yeah, so if you like the show, <laughs> tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody you love, even those that you don't like. Uh, anybody who likes Houston Texans or not to listen to the show, leave a review, leave five stars, and that sort of thing. We'll be back on later this week for a week 17 preview where I think we're just going to talk about a decade of pop culture and football moments because there's only one game that matters this weekend and it's going to be hard right. to preview some of these games. But uh, it'll be fun. But until next week when we talk about Texans, Titans, and the meaningless of all things, or the meaninglessness of all things, uh, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio and thank you for being on tonight, BFG.